Hey, welcome. Hey. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Oh. Timothy John Stafford uh, making an appearance at the Pour Over in Auburn, California. Poor choice. Poor choice. Sorry. I get all my coffee and wine metaphors mixed up. Coffee shops Pour- are kind of like churches with how they name themselves. Oh, so true. Is This is a coffee shop? Yeah. And you're playing when? Tomorrow, Saturday night. Okay. So so when or this comes ago, out once Monday. Two this, yeah. Yeah. You will already have done it. I've what, already shredded. What, what do you open with? I open with just looping myself, playing guitar to kind of like let everybody know like, hey, you're about to have some music you don't want to listen to. Oh, nice. And then they ease in. And then I open singing with Long Black Veil. Um, what, sing that one? What's that one? It's, uh, what is his name? Lefty Frizzell was the original writer. Okay. But Johnny Cash kind of made it famous. Oh, She walks okay. these hills in the long black veil. It's about like... Of course. Getting framed for murder, but you didn't want to use your alibi because your alibi was that you were having an affair with your best friend's wife. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that that's kind of sets a tone yeah. for a, a family, family establishment. Totally. I like it. I like it. Oh, that's so good, dude. <laughs> And, and, and like, so you play what an hour, how do they two hours straight every time? Yeah. I'll take like a like five minute break in the middle. Yeah. But it's a lot. Yeah. Dang. It's a long set. It is a long set. Two hours, dude. Averaging what? Four minutes a song. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. What yep. would you say? I mean, I, I know it, it's funny. I forget that we're recording sometimes cause I'm like, well, so what would you say like your the highlight of the set is? What's your best if you're trying out for America's Got Talent or something from that set list? What I do have you put a song forward? called, um, or it's tentatively called The Morning After. Oh, it's a big vocal stretch. Okay, um, and I always so that's an original people. Yeah, oh, it's mostly you originals. Do, you, oh, you do mostly originals. Oh, nice, yeah. bro. And you yep. got merch? Nope. Okay, that's good. No merch. That's good. Okay. But they can I find some people. pins somewhere where I put my head on Luke Skywalker's body and made pins. But I don't, I don't know where that's they great. are. Yeah. Well, that's... Yeah, you're definitely on it, for sure. Yeah. On the merch side. I'm a well-oiled machine. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, dude. And are people pretty accommodating once they, you know, get used yeah. to someone there playing guitar you'll see them when you walk in with all your gear and they're like oh oh come on i was here to hang out with my friends and talk and yeah. now this jabroni is gonna start singing yeah and i apologize and then i start playing and then i'll win them over it becomes like a challenge though like you want to win them yeah and if you do it you feel good if you don't you feel like a jukebox that they want turned down that's the worst do you take uh requests no nope, but people sure ask for them What's the most frequently? It's always something so random. Oh, someone came up after I played for like two hours and like, can you play this one song by the Cars? And I was like, no, I don't know that song. Oh my goodness! All right, well, I know that's a rabbit trail that our listeners were not expecting. That's right, but I like it. You're welcome. And I would certainly be at a coffee shop if you were going to be there. That's right. It's a, so, it's a tap takeover. Some brewery is taking over their beer taps and doing like a 
the thing selling all so their beer. So this isn't a coffee shop. This is a brewery. It is, but they sell beer and wine also and food. They have good food. So let me ask you a question. At what point does it cease becoming a coffee shop and is a restaurant? You know what I mean? They don't have like you don't Seems sit like down there at tables and order food. You you stand in line and order from the counter like you do at a okay okay. And it started with just coffee, but they have like their chef there is uh, he just got a Michelin star, you know, like the Ooh. oh yeah. So he's a really good, well respected, well known chef, and the food's nice. really good. Nice. And the coffee is really good, okay. and the beer is really good. Okay, and the music's good. We know that. that's right. Come one, okay. come all. Go back in time once you hear this. Yes. Just think about out. what you missed right now. Yeah. Kids, think about Let's what you missed. Just have a moment of silence for what you missed. Yeah. Yeah. You could have, I mean, whatever you ended up doing Saturday night, think about it right now and compare it to what you could have been doing. That's right. <laughs> we have uh, parents weekend at Hannes College. And so I'm now, my daughter is in a sorority. And so I'm now a sorority dad. That's right. And I get to go to a sorority mixer for parents weekend. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall for that. Well, let's just say, let's just say I'm, I, I'm going to find one or two people and then just kind of stick there. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're tailgating for a Western Kentucky football game and um, talking about sororities. So How exciting. Yeah, I... I I have zero to say on either of those topics, so I don't know what's... And my wife is such an introvert, like she just won't... She'll just go hide out somewhere. So it's up yeah. to... I mean, I've got a Carius, which, yeah. man, that is a sinking ship. Let me just... I'm more on your wife's just, boat. I can sit comfortably in a corner and not care if anyone... Yeah. Yeah. Problem is, I also don't care if it makes it awkward for other people. That's the part I'm working on. See, the, see Hannah... Our daughter will, she'll want me to meet all of her sorority sisters and their parents. So I got to come up. I mean, I've got to come up with like some witty repartee. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes but when, you, it's, when you're out in the wild like that and people are, you're meeting people and like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a pastor. Yeah. How does that no, go? No, no, I never say that. <laughs> I never say that. Talk about just ending conversations. So I say I'm a teacher and a podcaster. There you go. And they'll say, well, what do you, what do you podcast about? And I'll say like faith and politics or, you know, faith and doubt or something faith like and culture. that. Faith, oh, that's even a better one than faith and politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then they'll say, oh, I'd love to listen to it. I'm like, no, you really wouldn't actually. <laughs> You're a great so marketer. <laughs> you, we are definitely, yeah, we're definitely an inquired taste. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I used to. Uh, do like, well, yeah, it's for the gospel's sake. I need to tell people I'm a pastor. And now it's for the gospel's sake that I don't. <laughs> Dude, I just had that conversation this morning about like old ways of thinking um, yeah. and how to reframe. Because everything leads to questions where it's like, with that, it's like, okay, well, what's your definition of the gospel? Yeah. What's your definition of sin? Like they all, it's like this daisy chain of questions that kind of all are it can't just be one thing. It's, it becomes this larger daisy chain yes. of things. And it's like, you have to define all those before you can yeah. make a real big claim about something. Well, and I just, I, I don't want people to put whatever defenses they have up, up yeah. that early. Which are rightful defenses. In a lot of cases. something, that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, 
yeah, I don't, I don't, um, even like one of my neighbors, we have this incredible, so he is an indigenous American, um, uh, with a family of 11 kids, not all of them biological. And he came over and we just sat on our front porch and talked for an hour. And he's trying to pin me down, you know, and, and, and there's part of me like that's pin like, you well, to understand who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't wrestling you. Well, I, I, I no, not, yet, not <laughs> at this point. I hope, I hope Someday you know, may, you'll get there. Maybe we don't know. Um, but, but you know, it's just hard to know because there are sometimes, sometimes people will find out I'm a pastor and then they'll read like either negative assumptions or, oh yeah, you agree with, agree with me that like we hate immigrants. Right. Or, totally. you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so it just, it, it, it rarely leads anywhere profitable. Um, whereas, yeah, we talk about faith and culture or faith and politics or faith and doubt that that'll go somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, I could just sit, sit in a, a place called like the poor choice and just say, hey, I'm a pastor, ask me anything. And um, that, that would be interesting, for sure. Maybe I'll change my set to just that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm a Christian. I decided what do you think against of that? the music, guys. Let's just talk about... Totally. Faith oh, and culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I want, I mean, I don't, I don't want to hide that part of my life, but I want it to be received in the spirit you know, that, that, that doesn't like set people on edge. You know what I mean? And so yeah, it's, and a, it's a hard, while a lot of my opinions on, um, things like young life have changed over the years, there is still that mission statement, which I don't fully agree with anymore, but like just the idea of winning the right to be heard, at least with the idea that you're, you're actually investing in somebody before you just start preaching to them. Yeah. Yeah, and the one thing I would, and I know you would too, yeah, add to that is we're not even earning. We're not. We're not. The goal of our relationship isn't to be heard. Yes. The goal of our relationship is to listen and yeah. to learn and to receive the other as a blessing and a gift. Yep. So I would, you know, the the uh, the that whole era of our Christian <laughs> lives about. Because I, I mean, I, I do. I want everyone to follow Jesus. I, I think he's remarkable, and I think it's the best way to be human for sure. But the 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 idea that um, that I am standing over somebody with the answer, and they need what I have. I mean, that just creates all sorts of weird dynamics that I don't see that are very Jesusy. Yeah, you know it makes I mean? you the savior. Yeah, or or it just puts me in a situation where they're lucky to have me. Totally. Um, and my job is just to speak the truth and, you know, then hang up the phone or whatever. I did it. So, yeah, yeah. We Hey, we wrote a statement on, you know, human sexuality, posted it on our website. Bam, we're done. We don't have to we disciple anybody. We don't right. have to answer hard questions. We don't have to. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't know where we got on that, but look at us go, <laughs> Tim. <laughs> So now that we've whittled down um, listenership to maybe, you know, the hardcore 12 uh, listeners. Welcome 12. Yes. It's a holy which, number. 
Well, it, it absolutely is like what Jesus did with 12, right? right. And we're not, of course, uh-oh, Jesus, uh-oh, but 12 is a around. great... Uh-oh. <laughs> back, to being the, back to being the Messiah. Oh, dang it. I can't help it. We were at our our uh, pastors, we call it a nonference uh, for ministry leaders back in May. And, and I remember the spiritual director, Vanessa, said something like, hey, you were all groomed to be in ministry. Like... Mm. That, that idea that somehow our worth and value and significance is needing to be needed and, you know, being kind of a savior uh, or a hero or whatever, I just was like, oh, Lord, that's so true. That speaks, <laughs> you know, dang. So, because, I mean, there are parts of, uh, like, the 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 idea that we carry the name of God with us and, rep, you know, are invited to represent him well or faithfully, maybe is a better way to say that. And uh, I still find all of that like compelling, yeah. but I, they just, I, I couldn't unhook it from the idea that it was all up to me. There was pressure and the goal was to get them to pray a prayer or something. Yeah, as opposed the why to just, yeah. is important. Well, and the how. To, well, the why affects the how. Yeah. So if the why is to get them to pray a prayer, then my how is, you know, I'm going to totally. earn the right to be heard. That's what I mean about the daisy chain. Like you start to ask these questions to clarify the intent of a statement or an action. Yeah. And you start to see how linked all these things are that you can't just make yeah. Yeah. a cold blanket thing. Like it's everything is bigger than that. Yeah. And I feel like that's a Jesus to that a lot would connect things and sometimes answer questions with questions that would connect one question to a mm-hmm. different, something larger or something in tandem or I don't know. It just yeah. always painting a larger picture than just like a blanket statement or accusation or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, that guy, that guy. Which is compelling. It makes it feel like it, it's bigger than just like an exclusive club that you have to figure out the membership to. Right. It's like, oh, this is about humanity and creation and, Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. That's compelling. Come on. That's Come the national on. park. We love Gombas. <laughs> Great metaphor. It really is. You know who Got else? Got a lot of mileage out of it. <laughs> you know who else loves Gombas? The lamb. The lamb? Who was slain. Oh, yes. they're talking about a radio station. Sounds like a radio station. <laughs> That's funny. 887, the lamb. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's funny, I, I was just to... watching a trailer for someone's making a documentary and they're trying to crowdsource money for it. And so I saw the trailer on Twitter last night or whatever Twitter's called. Um, X. Twix. And uh, it's interviewing like people like Crystal Lewis, who I know you know, and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like Lee Nash, who was the lead singer of Sixpence, None the Richer, and like oh, all wow. these people that were from that era of yeah, Christian yeah. music who have all yeah. since like been le- kind of left that genre and it's interesting just kind of they were just they were just showing little clips of these guys talking about kind of that industry and mm. whatever so mm. i think it should be interesting for those of us that grew up in the 90s christian mm-hmm. you know that was a big time probably the biggest oh. time period for that what will people think when they hear that i'm a jesus freak exactly what will they do when they find out it's true and for anybody under 30 Still listening of the twelve, <laughs> down just... to two. <laughs> totally. Oh, it is. I mean, because I don't want to. 
I, I don't want to reject all of that because it got it, it brought me here, which yeah. I'm delighted about, you know. And but but what it's done is it's made me. Um, I don't know if this is true for you, but because I talk Christian, you know, for my job, it, it's just made me so <laughs> sensitive to like cliche, hundred cheese, and yeah. you know, just like. Uh, I work so, so hard to not fall into rhetorical language because it's it's just ingrained, and so yeah. much of the church for so long just spoke in yeah these kind of prescribed things a second that if anything feels doesn't feel real it's prefabricated messages right and so it's like man there's nothing there's no blood in that right so it's interesting i went like this morning i put on i went and dug up jennifer knapp cd and was just listening (laughs) to it this morning and being like because man she had a roller coaster of a you know career in life after that kind of boom because she was kind of one of the first artists that was making authentic I don't, music. See, I don't. I never really was into. I worked at the Christian bookstore when she popped. My job was when the parents came oh. in and said, "Like, yeah, I, yeah, my yeah. son oh, yeah, wants yeah. to listen to this. What? Yeah. Is, can you give me something better or something?" But you wouldn't do it. No, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I said, "Just let them listen to Smashing Pumpkins. They're a much better band." Yeah, I, I did. I will and say, I got fired. Sh- shocker! <laughs> shocker! I will say Striper made an impression when they when they Throw arrived Bible in my head. in my no I thankfully I would I didn't see them in concert but I was like whoa this is actually good like heavy metal music well, I remember my parents buying me a Petra tape oh wow Petra means rock because it literally does it yep <laughs> that's wow. <laughs> So anyway, now that Tim and I have caught up, this is what this is what our conversations sound like when it's just like the two of us hanging out. Um, welcome to the Voxology Podcast <laughs> again. Today we are going to look at the Lamb who loves Gombas. Oh, um, that was the that was the tie in there. That was my attempted you know bridge. Um, and and if you listen to us. Uh, if you're still listening, you should probably want to put this on like 1.2 speed. Um, you know, we need to make up some time here. But last episode, we were in uh, Revelation 4. And, and of course, we all know that the chapter divisions and the verse numbers were added much later. So the, there's just one vision, uh, the first of seven in Revelation 4 and 5. And it's fascinating because four and five parallel each other. Hmm. The first one is talking about the worthiness of the one who sits on the throne, a very Jewish way of describing God pulled from Old Testament imagery. And then now we're, we're going to meet uh, um, the lamb who was slain. And, and, and so many of the things that were said about the one who sits on the throne are going to be said now about the, the lamb who was slain. And there's some pretty deep theological implications about that. So I actually have a lot for Uh-oh. us today, Timothy. Gird your loins. I mean, boom. And remember, this is all in direct response to the messages given to the churches in chapters two and three. This is not some other thing. Um, this is this is exactly, the churches have, have been told 
and invited to overcome. And we've talked in a much earlier episode about overcome as victory military language. It's to be victorious. And how Rome, you know, Nike was the goddess of victory. And Rome kind of honored victory as, as one of its supreme values and it's and defined it as, you know, in purely political or military terms. And, and so these little churches have been invited to be victorious and using the same word. But we're, this is the first, first image that we're given, not first, but the first central image that we're given of what like victory looks like when you follow this Jesus. So I'm going to read chapter five and then we'll go over it more slowly. So a door opens in chapter four. I see one who sits on the throne. Then I saw the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And he had a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And a mighty angel proclaimed in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found to be worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, again, one of the elders, one of the 24 thrones um, around the living creatures who's around the central throne. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, has has been victorious. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. Anytime you hear about a new song, this is from Exodus. This is an Exodus motif. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive honor and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him as sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So let's march through this a little more um, purposefully. The scroll, lots of lots of guesses about what the scroll means or represents. Represents there are we have examples of like Roman wills, like like when you die and you leave a will, your last will and testament, that would have 
you know, would have writing on both sides and be sealed with seals. I mean, that could be a scroll. It could be uh, a parody, remember, of Domitian who would hold a scroll in his right hand with verdicts and edicts and commands or whatever else. But the scroll turns out to be a very Old Testament image. And when you get into the Old Testament prophetic literature, um, you will often hear about, like in Daniel, you know, seal up the words of this scroll and save it for later because the time isn't yet. Or um, in Isaiah uh, or in Ezekiel, you'll read about scrolls. And so I'm convinced, particularly as we'll see about how the events in the scroll unfold, that the scroll is, um, it represents the Old Testament vision found in all of the prophets about how God's kingdom will come here fully on earth as it is in heaven, which is what Daniel primarily concern, is concerned about. So the scroll is a symbol of the authority to guide human history to its conclusion. Mm. Okay? And... and um, and the authority to take the scroll from God and to open its seals sets in motion repeated judgments against the false kingdoms of the world that will ultimately lead to an ultimate judgment. But that isn't just the only judgment in view. As one of the things we're going to introduce maybe next episode is something called the Day of the Lord, which is both a singular day and an archetype of days when empires are judged. Hmm. And so, so what we're going to see in chapter 6 is just a bunch of, as the seals are open, uh, chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, we're just going to see day of the Lord motifs over and over and over again. And so the scroll and opening the scroll represents the authority of the Lamb to not, to not just bring judgment uh, uh, over the corrupt empires of the world, but um, to bring about his kingdom in all of its fullness into the world. So that in chapter 11, the, and this is a great line from Handel's Messiah, the, kingdom of our, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Christ. Hmm. And that's the goal. That's what the scroll represents is how that is going to happen. Make sense? Yes. So, and the thing that's so funny, of course, is the question, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth could open it. No one was found worthy. Now, again, when you're, when you're drenched in Caesar worship, um, and, you know, perhaps there is, there are coins or um, temple art or something that shows Domitian holding a scroll, you know, to just say that there was no one on earth worthy to open that sucker. I mean, that really is saying something. That is a political statement that even Caesar, the most powerful human, is not worthy to open the scroll. And so I wept and I wept because it was going to go unfulfilled. And then one of the elders said, so this is something he hears. One of the motifs that John is going to repeat over and over and over and over and over all throughout the book. And it's one of the ways he draws attentions, like attention to specific things, is he will hear one thing and then he will look and see a different thing. Hmm. And that idea between him seeing and then him looking 
is designed to build, to bridge or to build contrast between the thing that he hears and the thing that he sees that drive us into new revelation. Yeah. All right. All right. This is the most famous of these examples. So then one of the elders said to me, so he's hearing this. Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Now, we got to go in to these titles because they connotate something very specific to the Jewish imagination. They connotate military conquest. All right. So Genesis 49, this is when Jacob is blessing each of his children. And he says, Judah, right? This Judah, before Judah was a tribe, Judah was a person. And in, old, in the Old Testament conception, blessing was when the, 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 the patriarch would speak destiny uh, over the children. Um, and so in this case, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Now, David comes from Judah. And so the picture here is that, there, that there's a military prowess in Judah. Your father's sons will bow down to you. In other words, the brothers will all be second to Judah. You are a lion's cub. You, in other words, you're going to grow into a lion. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches down. He crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares rouse him. Like he's, he's, um, the, the picture is that he is like danger, um, to be aroused, right? You don't, you don't want to poke the bear kind of, so to speak, the scepter, the ruling scepter, all right, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler staff from between his feet until he to come excuse me, and so he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So a bunch of different imagery, but the, the idea is there's some sort of military prowess. Judah is going to be at the forefront of the tribes of Israel and from Judah will come a ruler who will rule over the nations and that, that rulership will be like denoted with some sort of staff or scepter. All right, so when you say lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation, we're going back three, 4,000 years, right, to this picture that, that the one who's worthy to open the scroll is the one that is, has now come that to, to whom the scepter belongs, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. like um, and so lion of the tribe of Judah is a militaristic nationalistic image of kingship. It's the idea. Now, then you, we read about the root of David. And of course, David is the most famous member of the tribe of Judah. And uh, some of this was thought to be in reference to David. Um, Isaiah 11 verse one begins with a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. So the picture is that that the lineage, the lineage has been dead. It's been cut off, but now there's new life in this lineage. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit, and branches capitalize. In other words, it's in reference to a person. Out of this lineage will come new life. And then 
Nine verses later, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations, again, the nations are in view, will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Now, by the time of Jesus, these images, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, these were conquesting militaristic images about the messianic king who would come and rule the nations from the throne of Israel. Yeah. No wonder they're disappointed. Right. Because exactly right. But, but we need to just get a glimpse of how important these images would have been to the Jewish imagination. Because remember for them, salvation also included the, the taking of Israel's enemies and overcoming them, being victorious over them expunging them from the land and purifying the land and the temple and so on. So, yeah, man. So he hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David has triumphed. Like this thing we've been waiting for, this victory, this in military terms, it's happening right now. And then in verse six, John says, then I turned and I saw a lamb. So he hears about the lion yeah. and the root, but he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And slain here isn't just sacrifice, but its life was taken. Yeah. Like violently. Yeah. And the lamb was standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Now, we just met someone on the throne who was encircled by four living creatures and the elders, right? God Mm -hmm. almighty, the ancient of days. But now there's this lamb that is now sharing the throne with this God. I mean, and, 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 and the parallels, I mean, you heard them. I think if you remember last episode, like, the, the same worship that was given to the one who sits on the throne is now given to them. It's like in parallel. So it's unmistakable, the claim that's being made here. Now, the idea of the lamb that was slain comes from the book of Exodus, where enslaved to Egypt, Israel awaited deliverance. Nine plagues have been brought against the Egyptians and their gods. The 10th one is the doozy. That is, the, that is against Pharaoh himself, where the firstborn will be taken because is, Egypt took Israel's firstborn males. Yeah. So it's a like for like sort of justice punishment. And um, they were to start a whole new calendar on the first day of a certain month. And on the 10th day, they were then to find lambs that were spotless. And they were to examine them until the 14th day of that new first month. When all of the members of the community of Israel would slaughter these lambs at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. The same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over a fire along with bitter herbs. All of this was massively symbolic and many Jews still do this today. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. So this angel of destruction comes, liberates Egypt, and they leave immediately. 
That's why they ate it in haste. But the idea of the slain lamb, this is where we first meet this idea that, that, that somehow the lamb sacrifice provided tangible deliverance. It wasn't some spiritual otherworldly thing. It was, no, we were delivered from our enemies. So why, so with the, no one on earth is worthy or capable of opening the scrolls, right? And that's, and as you said, that's a, a Caesar slam. Caesar slam. Uh, on, on he- in heaven. Well, that's on earth. That was going to be my next question. Under is, the earth and on the sea. So heavenly creatures or, or what, what do you, what is it trying to say with that? Like the earth one makes sense. It's, it's tying into a political yeah. thing. The heaven one, what is that? Okay, so so heaven in the Bible, remember, heaven isn't a place you go when you die. Right. Heaven is God's space. So the universe is a three-tiered universe uh, all throughout Genesis and in the New Testament period. You have the waters above, the waters below, the land, and then the deep. The waters above and below uh, are different from the deep. The deep is Sheol. It's the pit. It's death. It's the grave. Um, the waters above are, um, are protected, are, are kept from us by something called the rakia, which is the firmament. Um, it's like we're, we live in a dome. And um, the reason the sky is blue is because there's water up there. Right. And the reason there's oceans is because there's water down here. And out of both of those waters, land emerged. So you have the heavens, you have the earth. And you have kind of under the earth or the deep. Um, So this is a very Hebrew way of saying no one in the universe outside of the lamb is worthy. So there is no other spiritual being. There is no earthly person. There is no one who has died. There is no creature anywhere at all worthy to open the scroll. Does that include God who is sitting on the throne prior to this statement? No. Because God is holding the scroll. He's, he's obviously written the scroll okay, so he, okay. and is holding it and whoever and bestows it upon the lamb. Yeah. So I think this is important for where you're, where I imagine you're heading. Maybe I'm wrong, but oh, to clarify what? like what it is that makes the lamb the qualified. Yes. So in chapter four, what makes the one on the throne worthy is that he's prayed for his um creatorness by your will all things have been created right so one of the hymns is about the fact that god has created everything and sustains everything Mm -hmm. here the direct idea is you are worthy to take the scroll open at seals because you were slain and your blood has purchased people yeah so god is presented here as creator and sustainer jesus is presented here as redeemer and almost, you know, uh, there'll be priestly and kingly images applied to Jesus all throughout this too, right? Right. So, um, and and obviously there are massive Trinitarian implications because the same worship that was given to God is now being shared yeah. with, and, and the one who sits on the throne and the lamb are two different beings and yet they share divinity in some way. Yeah. So it's... I mean, like, it's, of course, mind-blowing and incredibly symbolic, but, but the idea that the, big, the, the biggest punch of the book of Revelation is, I saw a lamb when I expected a lion. A lion, yeah. 
And that's just so important. Like as we do the daisy chain, it's just yep. like this idea of the victor, the victory yep. and defeat. But what is the victory over? Yes. And when we get into Gombas and the, you know, agents of Freaking sin and Gombas. death and those things kind of entering in and what victory looks like now and not yet within John looking at this yes. crazy picture. and uh, Yes. Uh, I, it's so, I mean, it, it is... Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. All right. So let's, things, as we are, have such an audience has deconstructed or is in various levels of questioning or, or seeking truth or mystery, every time one of these little nuggets of like, hey, this was a core tenant, even of our faith growing up, this idea of victory in death. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now it's like we have to, so if we're holding on to, as we test things and learn more, there's Come certain on. nuggets and rocks that we can test and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to keep That's this it. one. That's it. But I want to understand it in the context of the larger picture rather than just taking it as a, like we started joking around with rhetorical ideas and that kind of stuff. Like, there, yeah. you know, the lamb was slain was victorious. That's a great statement. But there's a lot more to it than just announcing victory through loss, which totally. is already confusing. It's already a conundrum. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Massive conundrum. Yeah. But so, then it makes so, sense for why he's the only one that can open it. That's what I wanted exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's what yes. I wanted to. Yeah. Way to crush it right there at the very end. Yeah. Timothy. That's it. That all of the Old Testament promises about heaven coming to earth, not just heaven, but the reign of heaven, the rule of God over the earth again, that's going to come. And it comes in a very political and real yeah. and social sense. And it comes through sacrifice. Yeah. And that, and again, now to Christians, of course, we've heard this ever since we've heard the the Good Friday and Easter story and blah, 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 blah. But to, again, if you're a little bitty house church of 15 people and you're being invited to conquer and you're like, well, how in the world is that going to (laughs) happen? Totally. And then this is the image you're given of what it looks like to conquer. It's the same today. This idea that you must conquer and be victorious. And then totally you're handed an totally. image of sacrifice and defeat or whatever. And then Weakness. no one wants to live with that or no one wants to That's reconcile right. those things. We just want to right. be confrontational and victorious. Oh, there are massive culture war implications. You know what else too? You had a great conversation with Sky about um, Old Testament violence and this like... Um, mm-hmm. How did you put it? Like God is revealed in the Old Testament, but it's not a full revelation until Jesus. Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. Right? Does that sound kind of like wait in a yeah. very short summary? So but then yeah. with some of the stuff about sacrifice, things that God required or revealed in all these different scenarios and how they're playing out here. Mm-hmm. For example, like you gave the example of sacrificing these lambs and it happens on a specific day and they're spotless and blameless and they're sacrificed and that's a so it's like looking at some of these i don't want to i don't want to say accommodations but they're like uh no i think they are accommodations well like these small revelations of that god was providing from the fall forward until jesus yep all of a sudden start to get more interesting when you're parked in a book like this or something where it's like oh okay maybe god was doing something that we did not understand yeah, but there was something to it that was building towards, right? This victory, yeah, yeah. which offers freedom to humanity. Totally, because know. the sacrifices weren't for God. 
totally. Like the but Old Testament makes we, that clear. But at the same time, we're kind of we kind of operate under that understanding totally. sometimes. Like it's a yeah. it's a yeah. debt scenario. Right. Right. Yeah. Just wait, dude. There's there's so much more coming. I mean, yeah. You're 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 like previewing so many things. That's what I do. Remember. I know it's brilliant but there's a the, i think that little piece of clarity as you're getting into this section right here to hold that to hold on to some of those things as you move forward in here i think will be important well this is okay this well okay yes L let me just do a little more yes i'll be quiet and go. then no never never go, be go, quiet go. the lamb has seven horns and eyes horns in the um bible um are power uh, eyes are knowledge. It's hard not so, to picture like where the wild things are when you go through this. Totally. Good Lord. Yes. Or even the angels that we met last week with, you know, eyes under their wings. And, totally. You know, my mom had eyes in the back of her head. That's so right. I can kind of picture that a little bit. Um, <laughs> he, took the he took the scroll and then the living creatures fall down. The elders fall down. They throw crowns. The exact same worship that was given to God is now given to the lamb. Right. So much so that the last hymn in this is written to both, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Right? So Christologically about like the identity of Jesus, we've moved from a Galilean carpenter to one who shares the throne of the universe with God almighty. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a big deal. And 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 then and then when when it there's this this new song that's sung, and we don't have time to look at this, but if you go back and you read Daniel 7, the enthronement of the Son of Man in Daniel 7, all almost all of this language is found in Daniel 7. And it, I mean, bro, it's just so brilliant. This isn't new stuff. This is like just the recapitulation of all of these images and pictures and patterns around Jesus of Nazareth in, in, a, in a way that would cause these tiny churches to be hopeful and resistant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that Rome would be judged, that they would be vindicated. And not just Rome, but every empire sense. You know, it's, it's just, it's so incredibly, incredibly profound. Now this, I mean, I got a couple of like big, big points. And then, and then we want to ask the question, how does this square with the violence of revelation? And, um, because there's one very violent passage in revelation 19 that we have to deal with. So just a couple of big, big points. Um, it, it's the lamb's conquering. So the lamb's victory has been manifested, not in raw power associated like that associated with a lion, but with the power of faithfulness to death. So it wasn't just his sacrifice, but it was the faithfulness to the way of God that led to his sacrifice. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's not just that he died, but he was faithful to the 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 why, the how, the when of his dying. And in by and, and in that way reveals the character of Yahweh. 
Like that's the idea. And I want to quote uh, Richard Hayes, who's one of my favorite New Testament scholars. He, he said, oh, this, this, this is the kind of thing that gives me chills when I read this stuff. Um, when the slaughtered lamb is seen in the midst of the divine throne, the meaning is that Christ's sacrificial death belongs to the way that God rules the world. This is how God uses power. This is how God expresses sovereignty. This is how God wins, right? And if this is how God rules the world, then as co-rulers with God, this is how we rule the world (laughs) and achieve victory. So right? because we were, you and I were talking about how I went to the fair last night and um, <laughs> when you walk in, there is first of the Republican that's running for Congress mm. or for our, for our district or whatever, they had a huge Republican booth and they had all like the, you know, Trump posters and Trump hats and Trump flags and yada, yada, yada. Right next to that, I swear was like a Christian nationalism booth, like with shirts that are crosses and flags and um, Jesus for president, but still with like American Mm -hmm. imagery. Like that's literally what the booth was for. And it's so interesting in this language, exactly what you just said. Yeah. This idea that we're, we're fighting for victory with violence and bold words and that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, could not be more off the mark. Could not be. No, and, and 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 I'm all for wanting to, you know, see human beings flourish, and so we have a part to play in the partisanship of our day. Mm-hmm. But how is power construed? How is it? The, Hayes goes on later. He says the Lamb is both the source and the shape of our salvation. Mm. In other words, it, it's what it looks like to be faithful to God. To be faithful to God is to trust that the way God wields power is the way that the universe works. That yeah, that a it's a lot. And that through loss and lament. And again, Jesus wasn't passive. He's not weak. I mean, he's not sitting there saying, I mean, he, he just says, remember, he says, hey, guys, just so we're clear, I could call down 72,000 angels yeah. <laughs> like the ones you just described no one's taken my life. I give it freely. Yeah. Like he has it. I can so, do violence. I can win I, through yeah. violence. And he says that. He says even to Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. And 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 the and the predominant point illustration that he makes there is that if it were, my followers would fight. That's what kingdoms do of the world. Hmm. But his is not. And so they don't. We should do a non-friends on this. Dude. Okay. Unpacking all this kind of stuff and and like. Let us. Yeah. It's kind of Christianity 101 to a certain extent, right? Like, yeah, totally. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, we still have, and I still have a couple of points we got to make here because there's a bunch of violent imagery coming that involves Jesus. And you're like, and and so guys like Mark Driscoll and other just horrible interpreters of the Bible We'll say, yeah, but Jesus came the first time meek and mild, but now he's coming with a sword and he's going to spill blood. Yeah. Yep. And that is such BS. All right. So I'm going to go through this quick. Um, We meet an army 
of the Lord. And again, it's, it's, it's one of these things where John hears something and then, so he hears about the army and then he sees them. And in, in seven, um, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude. No one could count. So first of all, there's an army that is described. It's numbered like the census, the 144,000, like that's actually turns out to be the divine army. Um, and you realize, and it's like a census from numbers one and two. Mm. And then, so he, he, he hears about this and then he sees this great multitude. So we know the 144,000 is symbolic because it represents a great multitude when he looks that no one could count. So he's just said, Hey, we counted the multitude and it was this. And then he says, well, no, no one can count this because he hears about 144,000, but then he sees a multitude that no one could count. And they're from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they were saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Angels were falling down saying, amen, praise and glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, strength, power to our God forever and ever. And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I said, John said, you know, I don't know, you know, and he's asking me, these are the ones who've come out of the great tribulation. Now, great tribulation is a seventh, a seven year period that happens once. Tribulation this is whenever, yes, it's whenever empire oppresses the people of God, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Okay. So the blood of the lamb, like the Passover lamb gets put on to these white robed figures. And why, why do they get the blood of the lamb? Because they were faithful to death, just like the lamb was. Mm. So this is an army of martyrs, people who died for their faith. All right. So we meet the Royal army and the last thing, the last image that we're given is that of like a conquesting weapon fueled, militaristic tribe instead where they have they they're waging war with palm branches palm branches worship and they're standing before the throne with robes dipped in blood and it's the lamb's blood because they were willing to be faithful the way the lamb was so they're armed with palm branches and songs yep. yep and they are drenched in the blood of their defeated leader yes Now, then a war breaks out in chapter 12 between the dragon and his followers and the lamb and his followers. And, and then, um, and we'll talk about that, uh, because it's, it's referencing the birth and coming of Jesus. And yet it's referencing other things too, all at the same time. But notice I heard a loud voice say, once the dragon was hurled to the earth, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser, this dragon, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They, so it's a plural, they, this army, triumphed over him, how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what was their testimony? that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So we get a battle scene where the the army of God wins 
by the word of their testimony and the blood, the sacrifice of the lamb. Okay, so I want you to see that anytime the blood of the lamb is mentioned, that's what we're, what we're fighting with, right? Now, the big awful picture that, that Driscoll and others use and so horribly warp. It, it, it infuriates me to no end. Um, because if you actually did any contextual study, it, it's saying the opposite of what they say that it's saying. But it comes in Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. Names given to Jesus earlier in the book. With justice, he judges and wages war. All right, we're finally going to get it, right? Jesus is now going to kick some bass. Jesus is coming back. Jesus has got a sword. Let's go. His eyes are like blazing fire. <coughs> Excuse me. On his head are many crowns. Again, Old Testament imagery are dripping here. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding out on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Dude, finally, finally, (laughs) coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. This comes from Psalm 2. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That comes from Isaiah 63. (coughs) Isaiah 63 is such a violent image that the image that's used is of of a powerful figure trampling the blood of his enemy so much. It's like a grape presser who is stomping on grapes and getting the blood, the, the, like the juice of the grapes all over his garment. So the image here is that, that that Jesus comes and like he's stomping all over his enemies. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's a painful place to get a tattoo on your thigh. Bro, I've always said that. <laughs> and I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses, their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. There's going to be so much carnage, in other words, that that the birds are going to come and feast on the flesh of the defeated enemies. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who performed the signs on its behalf. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider and the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on his flesh. And so, doggone it, finally Jesus shows up like he oughta. <laughs> like he oughta. Like he oughta. You, you, now, you oughta know. So, so, yep, I understood that reference. So, it's funny because anytime we meet Jesus in the book of Revelation, what blood, the blood that's always on his robe is whose? His. 
his. And it's fascinating. He has blood on his robe prior to the battle. Correct. Which is super interesting, right? So, <laughs> so, so how is he waging war? Well, it's with this sword coming out of his mouth. Well, that's an Isaiah image. And that just means his words. What is he speaking? I, I don't know. I mean, he, like you have two references to his identity. He's faithful and true. He has a name no one knows but him. On his robe and thigh, he's king of kings and lord of lords. Like, absolutely, man. This is, <coughs> it could be his identity that he's speaking. I don't know. It could be some prophetic judgment. But, but it provokes exactly that, right? Like it's, again, using metaphorical language, likely Jesus does not have, a, it wouldn't be super, I don't know. A sword no, command no, this be is the an best. Old Testament, this is an exactly. Old Testament metaphor. Exactly, so then you have to take that step back and be like, okay, yeah. what He's what already got blood on his robe, his exactly. own blood. So this is the slain Jesus, right? Who we've already been told has an army that is conquered by the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. And... In this battle, there is no actual fighting. <laughs> right? The army doesn't do anything. It's an important feature. And Jesus doesn't do anything. He just comes as the Psalm 2 king, right? In his glory. And he speaks something. And this, this see, the thing that, that Revelation does is it uses all sorts of military imagery but it subverts it yeah. with, and, and it does this in chapter five by, by saying, here's the lion and the root of David, military leader, but I saw a lamb. So here's the conquering king, but it's a robe dipped in his own blood before the battle. And the sword is coming out of his mouth is from an Isaiah picture, right? So, so to the uninitiated, you're just going, oh yeah, man, he's coming and he, man, we're going to eat. And you picture this field of human beings that have just been slaughtered by Jesus. And that, and that totally, utterly violates a bunch of things. One of them is the idea that Jesus is always, always, always conquering through his blood and sacrifice. Yeah. Never through power over people. Oh, was the one example we got of that when he was living. Right? When Peter draws a sword and... He says, dude, enough. Yeah, no, 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 no. Come on, man. <laughs> you want to what we're doing. Right. Or even my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, we'd fight. Yeah. So the image is of the, the, the eschatological judge speaking and bringing his kingdom to the earth. And that there are those who oppose his coming who will be destroyed in one sense or another. And, and there are actually images in, all throughout Revelation that have nothing to do with eternal fire, although there are two lake of fire references, which we'll talk about. That'll be juicy. But, or maybe three. Um, but there is like, there are these images of destruction where the kingdom comes and those who don't want to be a part of it cease being. Um, but what Jesus isn't doing and, and this is, again, I mean, this is, I, I, I haven't done it justice, but the motif of Jesus as military conqueror that gets inverted into, but through his sacrifice, right. this is where that imagery is most uh, importantly to be considered. 
because Jesus is victorious over all the nations and the beasts and everything else. But how? It doesn't, it's not like he's nonviolent until, you know, God says, hey, go for it. Yeah. I know you've wanted to. Right. The fact that he has blood on his robe shows it's the lamb the whole way through. Right. So then and, that becomes interesting as a lens to look back through, just to reference your conversation again with the Old Testament violence and different things that how we read and see that stuff, even just, and also just the laments of like, as a peaceful nation, uh, advocating for human flourishing and lamenting, please come. Cause yeah, we're obsessed with violence. We're obsessed with dominance. We're obsessed with power and it's hard to, it's hard to exist as a pacifist within yeah. a world that is just has bloodlust. Absolutely. And and that's why we can't shy away, and the Bible doesn't, of using military imagery. Blood, conquer, sword, feasting on carcasses. But it's the continual subversion of that into, well, how did that victory come? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the whole thing together is, if that forces it. you to wrestle backwards. That's exactly right. Because this is how the lamb has always been yeah. victorious. So then you're, it's like watching the sixth sense and you get to the end, you're like, wait, what? Yes. And then you have to go back and rewatch everything to see. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, I mean, man, there's so much more um, to be said. It, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like the sixth sense in the sense that if you don't get to this last book. Um, it's a totally different movie exactly it's like well i thought god was bloodthirsty and violent too yeah and then you're like no no no. actually if you want to know what god's like i mean the one who sits on the throne and the lamb that's that's what god oh, is it's like so important because this is like what this you know you want to list uh causes of doubt or causes of frustration within faith and how often is old testament violence or god being a violent god near totally. the top of that list yeah so and there yeah. is, i mean but but there is i mean like ananias and sapphira they get zapped yeah but within what's the con like you know what it's just we're yeah we've been waging war in the name of god for generations boy amen to that bro I don't know, it's just and, and yeah it's a lot to unpack and then <laughs> you know, re restructure your understanding of everything, you know, yes. it's just a lot. Yes. Like you just, as people are trying to find an authentic faith and trying to lean into being a lifelong learner and trying to understand, or at least pursue after what it is that God is advocating for. Yeah. I just like, I get it. I get how hard that is. I get how daunting and terrifying letting go of, some concrete things that you've been handed to try to see God and what God's trying to actually do. That's a, that can be a really daunting task in, you yeah. know, today can't speak for every generation, but it's like, I can see the lament and the fear and why and what it's rooted in and letting go of so much to understand, to more fully understand who God is. Yeah. You just see it. Yep. It's a lot. 
Yeah. But it's so much more compelling. <laughs> well, compelling and then demanding, right? Because if it's not just he is the source, as Hayes said, of our salvation, but the shape. That's and what, what a great communion. name, Revelation. That's it, yeah. That, yeah. What a great unveiling and a great, you know. That's it. That's the thing. The unveiling of Jesus as the cosmic ruler. And, and all the implications that come with that. In the shape of a slain lamb. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my Lord, wow. Then you read the whole story again thinking, I thought God was this bloodthirsty jerk. And you're like, nope. Now, we've talked so much about Old Testament violence. I don't want to revisit all of that. But in terms of like um, th- this move between what he heard, the lion, and what he sees, the lamb, is the key to understanding the judgments in the rest yeah. of the book. Yeah, totally. So, um, you know, well, we wanted to just like land solidly on chapter five for just one episode to go. So funny. I remember reading chapter four in worship, uh, mm. like when I was a youth pastor or something, like I would do these two hour worship nights where we would just get together in a room in a circle and we would just sing for a couple hours, but we would read that chapter without mm. any context or understanding of what it just because it was spectacular sure. totally there's all these crazy things happening this r- colors and rainbows yes. and crystals yes. and all the stuff and it's like this is hey guys let's listen to these words and worship god through this and it's just funny and and what a legitimate way to use that too i mean that's you yeah. know i i'll never forget the first time i i read those words and was like oh my lord it's <laughs> pretty wild yeah i don't understand this at all and that's that's why we're you know beautifully unfinished products along the whole journey, not just the beginning part, you know. But anyway, um, so we're moving, we're moving to the to the individual <laughs> who's listening who said, "Please get going." Yeah, we're going. Finish this before God actually returns. Why? Well, yeah, it's like George R. R. Martin. At some point, you just keel over <laughs> yeah. before you just let us some showrunners finish, finish it off and terribly seriously. Finish it. You might you might as well. I mean, he clearly isn't gonna has no interest in getting this done. <laughs> Apparently not. He's made his money. Yeah, it's ten years, and 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 God bless him. He he killed it. The only thing he's gonna do if he finishes it is disappoint people. Totally. So hundred percent. If you're if you're gonna disappoint them, might as well go out with them wanting more my favorite book series is the dark tower series by stephen king oh and when he finally got to the eighth book and like roland gets to the tower which is what you've been reading this whole time but he even stops the book right there and says hey don't read anymore stop right here there's no way that the hype in your brain from you know because it was a 20 25 year whatever yeah yeah. He's just like, it's not going to live up to it. I'm going to finish it. You can proceed, yeah. but it's yeah. not going to live up to whatever you built up in your head. So maybe just stop here. He made it to the tower. I just, love that. I <laughs> it's love like, it. yep. And did you keep reading? Of course I did. I read that series and, multiple times. Well, and was it good? I mean, yeah. It uh, th- That would be a real spoiler, but it's it oh. serves a purpose within a larger narrative. Okay. So it's not like a Star Wars ending that people want. It, um, there's more, it was more nuanced than nice than that. 
Talk about a guy nice. that finishes things. That guy can't stop. I just got his new book in the mail yesterday. What is, oh, what's? It's called Holly. For those who read uh, The Outsider or watched the HBO show, she was a prominent character in that as well as another oh, series. Oh, I read, you know what? I did read The Outsider. So she's the, has some psychic abilities and oh. was an important character in that series. Oh, so she's this kind of become an important off. character to him. Mm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we started. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Ahsoka. <laughs> I haven't, you know, dude, I wait till all those are out and then I watch. I, I bought a bootleg. I, I bought two bootlegs online. Week. I bought a bootleg that somebody despecialized the original trilogy. So they took oh. out all the added stuff and, and made a 4K oh. version on discs so that you can watch the original films as they were. Yeah. But I also, they were having a sale and I saw that somebody did a fan cut of the LB1 series and made it into just a two hour movie. Oh, so they see, just took the most been, important elements. Yeah. So yes, I haven't watched it yet, been, but <laughs> that would have been good. Yeah, I, I think in blasphemy against blasphemies, but I think we're dumping Disney Plus, man. <gasps> they just raise their prices again, and it's like I didn't watch Mando three. Like Andor was good. Andor was great. But I mean they've just so screwed up the whole thing. I mean, like, how do you come back? I mean, they should just wait 10 years, you yeah. know, and then get us all nostalgic again or something. But, oh, my goodness, I've just not, I can't think of another parallel where. Drop you Disney know, you, and then go get Paramount Plus and you can watch every Star Trek show and movie they've ever made. That's what my brother says. My brother says Picard is really good. It's different. Yeah. 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 I love the, I. Yeah, no one cares. I forget we're still recording. <laughs> I loved the J.J. Abrams re- reboot of Yeah, of I guess Trek. they had big plans for that, and then it just, they made three Didn't. of them, and then... We're out. Quentin Tarantino was supposed to make a fourth one with that oh. cast. He had a, some weird pitch that they were like, oh, this could be interesting. Dude, that would be amazing. Be something. Oh, yeah, or Wes Anderson. That would be, that'd be interesting, too. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. In, in between, in between <laughs> random conversations, I hope there was some good stuff. In between uh, our random we, convos was a lion and a lamb. Yes, there it is. There Thanks it is. Thanks for tuning in to ninety-eight point six LAMB. The Lamb. <laughs> it's not far off. What's the Christian channel here? Fish the fish or what the, the used fish to be called that? Yeah, the fish. At least when I was in Southern California, there yeah. was the fish. Yeah, they have a lamb. I used to, no one cares, but when I would play, um, <laughs> I would play video games and like shooter games where you're killing other people, yeah. like, you know, like on lust. No, no. <laughs> but I would call myself Aslan. And it was a great way to identify what other gamers were Christians because you it would be like Aslan killed you. Yeah. And... And so, what made me think of this? I have no idea. There was a point, and now there's not. Um, <laughs> I had somewhere I was going, bro. I had somewhere I was going. Liam Neeson's? Oh, that's good. All right, we're done. We're so done. God bless you all. Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> good night. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. 
Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us